0: This is Family Twist, a podcast about astonishing adoption stories and finding family via DNA magic. I'm Kendall. And I'm Corey, And we've been
1: inseparable partners in life since 03, 04, 05, also known as March 4th,
0: 2005. In January, 2018, our found family journey took us 3000 miles from the San Francisco Bay Area to New England, where we now live near my biological father, two half siblings and their families. We love being near them all and the adventure continues.
1: Hi, it's Corey. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with Jack Maelstrom. If you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to do that first. Jack's adoption story is pretty remarkable. They discovered that they were not in fact Hispanic, but indigenous. And that discovery has led Jack on an amazing path, which we will get into in part two. So can we talk a little bit about two spirits Mm -hmm. and how often do you have to explain what that means to people
2: (laughs) a lot it's it's it varies so you know you kind of gauge the situation of like do i feel like going into my powerpoint today or do i just say i'm bisexual (laughs) (laughs) you know it's just one of those things i've been trying to be more intent well not intentful what's the word like more conscious about like not taking the easy road with it and, and still sticking with two spirit because that is what I am and Mm -hmm. not using like Western terms that don't fully fit just because I don't feel like explaining myself. You know, I, I feel like it's important to, to normalize using that, you know, identity and term and getting people used to things like that. I mean, same with, you know, they, them pronouns that I use now and stuff like that. Like sometimes it's like, do I feel like stealthing like a girl today? Do I feel like pretending to be a girl for the sake of not having to explain this person? why I'm not a girl. And I'm, I'm, you know, I've also been working on that for myself as well because again, like, it's important to normalize that and not adjust my identity to make someone else comfortable. So yeah, I, I do tend to have to explain it a lot and I'll, I'll go into it right now. So Two-Spirit, <laughs> it's an umbrella term that was created by a group of queer Indigenous folks up in Canada back in like the 90s, the early 90s. And basically it's an umbrella term and a placeholder term that we use to describe our LGBTQ relatives, but also it's a, it's a cultural role. So in a lot of tribes, queer folks were seen as sacred and they were medicine keepers. They were adoptive parents. They were negotiators, marriage counselors. Like they held a lot of respect within the community. All for various reasons, of course, you know, some people believe like the way the term two-spirit, like how that comes to be is like in some communities, they believe that you're blessed with a masculine and a feminine spirit in one body where normally most people just get one you get two so you get to see both sides and that's how what's what makes you a mediator and not all tribes believe in that of course but that's kind of where the term came from and you know many tribes like the Navajo have a a story about the Natle, which is what they call two-spirited folks and like you know man and woman get in a fight and they they go to like I think like two islands and the two-spirited people have to go back and forth and like negotiate them to get back to like all being together again. And like, you know, so it's, it's a cultural role too that we hold and it's very sacred, but it's very hard to like, like a lot of the words that we had for that in our various communities were erased because of homophobia and Christianity and things like that. And so, you know, in some of our communities, you know, those words have become derogatory or we're told they're derogatory, you know, and it's like, Is it really or is that actually like just something we weren't allowed to say, but that's the real name? You know, it's hard. There's not a lot of research on it. There's a lot more research being done on it. But it's difficult because like obviously they didn't want to keep records of that. And what little records we can find come from a very European lens, be it Spanish Mm. or, you know, white European. So Mm. it comes from a very hateful and prejudiced lens. So there was a term for us before that called birdash which is which is a derogatory term and it translates to like roughly like young male prostitute so they they already saw us as something like lewd and disgusting and so in reading journals that do like document this stuff like it's always like from a very negative aspect so Mm. the the whole point of creating this umbrella term was to reclaim that reclaim our our space within our communities again because homophobia is extremely like present in our indigenous communities, unfortunately. Being able to reclaim that and remember that like, obviously queer people exist. Like we've existed since the dawn of time. That's just like how that works. I don't know what to tell you. Like there's, we're not a new thing. Gay people have always been around. I don't know why this is like so shocking to people. Gays exist, what? This is news to me. I don't know. I Most of us are really like using it as like a, as a term until we learn the term for ourselves like what our individual because each tribe has like you know their own individual beliefs and and wording and like also responsibilities like cultural role responsibilities if there is a cultural role i always see two-spirit as a cultural role of serving your community because like one thing that i've noticed and you talk to other two-spirits as well a lot of us are in social work like an obscene amount of us are in social work and youth work and community work you will find a lot i mean you'll find a lot of queer people there in general but like there's a lot of two-spirit people in social work and in community work. And I don't think that's, that's a coincidence, you know? Um, and right. I think that's something we've been doing since, you know, the dawn of time is community right. work. So, yeah. So I, I wanted to, because a lot of the time too, like I notice in like queer POC well, spaces, they'll talk about how they feel like they have to choose an identity before they go out. So am I Mexican today or am I gay today? Because I can't blend the two. I feel like I have to pick a side. Um, And I felt like that too. It was like, okay, so I have my indigenous stuff and then I have my gay stuff, but like never the two shall meet. But they have to have, right? Like, you know, and and it's just like that questioning of like, again, like gay people exist. They always have. So how how did, what do we do about that? And like, how did we see that? And so I started asking questions, but most of the people I asked were straight, so they didn't know. <laughs> and and I, got, I got different answers every time. And then finally, I was connected to the Portland Two-Spirit Society, and I was able to get more answers and met more Two-Spirit folks and, like, started, like, really being able to, like, get access to that information. And then after, like, about a year, year and a half of, like, really making sure this is, like like I have an understanding of this, Um, I decided to identify as because it felt right. Like bisexual never fit. I used to, I used to not even label myself. I used to say I wasn't picky. Like I was that guy. I just cringe (laughs) every time I think about it. Just like, holy shit. But it was the early 2000s. What are you going to do? You know? Yeah. Bisexual never really seemed to fit either. And, you know, all the Western labels were a lot. And, but two-spirit, like, not only incorporates, like, my queer identity, but I always use two-spirit as a gender and sexuality identity, so, and it it just fits better for me, where, like, I have to, you know, list all this alphabet soup in western terms of, like, oh, yeah, I'm non-binary and bisexual and I guess pansexual and, like, demisexual and all this, you know, whatever, which is fine, I mean, you know, it's whatevs it's how english is i have no respect for that language but it's how english is but two-spirit encompasses like it's just to have it in in one word makes it so much easier of like an understanding of like oh okay like there's a gender fluidity that comes with that there's you know queerness that comes with that and i don't have to like you know really pinpoint it it's just an understanding of queer in general right it's like how western people use queer as an umbrella term and like just Mm -hmm. keep it at that and not trying to like narrowed down or like split hairs of anything. It's just me. It's just how I am. And I can use that term. You can understand that I'm queer. But then the rest that follows is up to me as an individual and like how I am personally. So I I really like that about it.
0: I love the connection too that you make to the community. I mean, I, I think that when you say to spirit over the years, I've come to understand it that way you know, as an outsider, I think of it like, yeah, that they're, they're kind of the people that identify as two spirit are always representing their individual communities. Mm-hmm. I just think that's wonderful.
2: Yeah. It's really nice to be able to blend those two identities as well, because, you know, there's the shock that they're, that gay people exist, but then there's extra shock. Gay native Americans exist. What? Right. You know, like, right. that's a whole other thing. Yeah, being able to blend, like, my racial identity with this and, like, finding space within that culture and, like, combining all of it and not feeling like I have to choose one is so freeing. And, like, I think that there's a lot more recently, like, there's, there's a bigger movement of, like, learning to blend the two identities because, of course, we exist within our cultures. We always have. And like learning to stop separating the two and compartmentalizing them and embracing the ability to blend because once we blend that we also show up more in our communities and you know are more represented in our communities in the way that we should be you know and and again it's about reclaiming that space that we deserve to be in within our culture and our communities and we always have been but you know through trauma or you know all these other things sometimes that does get lost so it's an important thing, I think, to learn to to be able to blend your culture with your identities. And like, it makes me feel more whole as a person to be able to do that.
1: Was it challenging at all, though, at the very beginning of taking on this radio show where that's a brand new thing to you, discovering your natives is a new thing to you. So you're still learning about that. Um, do I want to put the queerness into it, too? Like or how soon in, you know into doing the radio show did the native and the queer you know start start mixing
2: that took a while i actually didn't come i had like a coming out episode because the person who had started helped me was supposed to help me start the the show was white but very involved in the native community and he had told me like don't tell them you're adopted because then they'll see you as an outsider and like they won't listen to you Mm. and so i was like Oh, oh, shit. Okay. So I just wouldn't tell anybody I was adopted. And I never talked about it on the show. And like, I never really like went into it. And then about like, maybe like a year or two into the show, I was invited to cover the National Indian Child Welfare Association's national conference that was in Portland at the time. And, and they're already they're based in Portland, but it just this year, it happened to be in Portland. And so they invited me to cover it as a member of the media. And I went and, like, my life was completely changed. I met other Native adoptees. I interviewed, you know, folks in child welfare and from the BIA and all this stuff. And, like, you know, it really, like, invigorated me and, like, gave me, like, more confidence in who I am and, like, reminded me, too. Like, I was never ashamed about this before. Why should I be ashamed about this now? There's an entire conference saying it's important for us to talk about this. Um mm-hmm. You know, and so when I aired my hour long special on that, like I had an entire monologue of me like basically coming out as an adoptee myself and like actually talking about that on the show and being like, look, like this is where I'm coming from with this. I know I'm new to the community. I know I'm new to I'm new to all this stuff and this is why. But, you know, something tells me that y'all are going to understand that. And if you don't, you're more than welcome to change the station. You know, and that's something I've always said when when people call in upset about something I've said, it's like you also have the prerogative to change the radio station like you don't I'm not forcing you to listen to me. It was a very warm and like welcoming reception like obviously what that dude had said like was not true in the slightest. The only time I've ever really received pushback about being an adoptee and like talking about these issues is from non native people. I very, very, very rarely have encountered that from Native people. And even when I do, I have learned how to kind of address that, you know, and just remind them of like where that comes from (laughs) and it comes Mm -hmm. from colonization. So, yeah. And then as far as the queerness is concerned, that came came a little later. That came probably the following year when I started to get more involved in the Two-Spirit Society. And then... I because I hadn't met any other like I hadn't really been connected with that yet didn't know how to connect it and like didn't know if it was really relevant and then once I started doing more two-spirit society stuff I started doing more pride specials Um, Mm. you know I interviewed the folks who had started the Navajo Nation the first ever Navajo Nation gay pride event like they're just starting up now it's like huge but I, I started doing that more and And then I, you know, I went out to Standing Rock and was at the Two Spirit camp out there. And so I did a special on that and like started to integrate that more. It took me a while to get comfortable with that as well. Like even in the work I was doing when I was working for NICWA, I didn't really talk about being queer at work. And then I noticed that they didn't have any LGBTQ curriculum. And I was like, you know, like I could maybe do something (laughs) on this because like I'm kind of queer if you want. And you know, it was a need. It was definitely a need because like, you know, in our communities, unfortunately, like, you know, we have a lot of youth suicides and a good chunk of those youth are LGBTQ youth that are committing suicides in our communities. And so the tribes really wanted and needed that curriculum at the time. And there wasn't really anybody doing that. So I was able to to form that and work and and I have like a two spirit one oh one presentation that I do and like working with LGBTQ youth in foster care and all of that stuff. So it took a while to build up confidence to be like, is anyone even going to listen to me? I barely know what I'm doing. Like I'm just existing. I've, I've just been doing the work and I'm just talking from what I know in my own perspective. Like I am no expert on this stuff. I just have lived experience in it. And that's my expertise. I don't have a college degree in anything. You know, I am just speaking from what I have experienced personally and you can kind of take it or leave it. And it's taken me a while to like get confidence in that though. and being okay with that. And, and even now sometimes like I get a little shaky with it of like, I'm just some asshole with a microphone. Like I really don't know, but you know, but at the same time, it's like, again, you can also turn me off. You don't have to listen to me at all. I'm just one perspective. And like me personally, I like multiple perspectives so I can get a 360 view of, of the situation. So I'm Mm -hmm. just one perspective and whether or not you agree with me, that's fine. But, the fact that you're listening at all is, like, good, you know?
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Would you say the feedback, what you started doing, some queer-centric episodes, mostly positive from oh, the yeah. Native
2: community? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I think here there's a lot of support, at least from in the Indigenous community. We started tabling at Portland Pride. I mean, they've always tabled, but, like, when I started tabling with them, it was, like, 2015 or so. Mm -hmm. The native community, they were very excited because there wasn't any, there isn't a lot of POC representation at Pride in general. Portland is a very, very, very white city. So Mm -hmm. getting any POC representation at all is like iffy. And so being able, like a lot of relatives were just like, you know, I saw the teepee and I came over. We had a teepee that unofficially was dubbed the education teepee because people would go in there and ask the dumbest questions I've ever heard in my life. But you know, it, it it was a it was a journey, but it was very exciting because you know we got to meet other natives that maybe weren't as involved and like. You know, they they would come to Pride and not expect to see themselves there and then find us and be like, oh, my God, like, hi. And like, hey, where are you from? What's your tribe? Oh, shit. Like, oh, my God. Like, you want to hang out or like making new friends and making new relatives and everything. And like, they're excited about that. It's also tricky because Pride is usually the same weekend as the Delta Park powwow, which is like a very big powwow here in Portland. So we have to split our time as well, which was like really a big pain in the ass. But the non-native community, on the other hand, you know. A lot of rude questions, a lot of mm. racial stereotypes, a lot of I was an Indian in my past life. A lot of, you know, people would call it like the fuck tent people being like, oh, my God, like, I want to get one of these tents for my backyard. This is so cute. You know,
1: I just wonder why they're listening to a, you know, a very <laughs> well-known native show.
2: <laughs> like a- because they it's 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 that fetishization. That's the thing is like mm-hmm. Portland may be a very liberal city, but at the same time, it's, it's still very racist. It's extremely racist. It, it's just a, 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 you know, racism with a smile. It's underhanded racism. It's not in mm-hmm. your face. So mm-hmm. it's, it's fetishization. That's why I always say like, when people find out I'm native, like their pupils dilate and they're just like, ah, you know, because it's like, they, they see, they see me as this like mythical creature. I'm not actually a human being anymore. You know, (laughs) my fucking hair comes unbraided and the colors of the wind blow by and they hear the Pocahontas soundtrack (laughs) in the background and a fucking Eagle flies over, you know, shit like that. Like, um, so it's that, it's that fetishization. And it's like, also like, you know, people patting themselves on the back like I'm a good ally because you know I listen to indigenous voices or whatever when in reality like no it's tokenization and it's specialization and like you're not actually learning anything you listen until I hurt your feelings and I've had white people call in about the things I say about them on my show and saying and like calling my show racist and stuff like that and I'm like mm. calling you a colonizer is not racist it's stating a fact like I don't know what to tell you absolutely
0: but- that's
2: right. that you know that's that's the breaks i don't know what to tell you like i we've even had people call in we did like my co-host navajo and we're talking about like turquoise like how to tell real turquoise from fake turquoise and like the navajos no turquoise and we had some woman call in getting all offended well if i buy by you know rocks painted blue from an indigenous person then that should be good enough like offended that we were talking about you know fake wow. turquoise is shit like p- people are gonna get mad no matter what and it's fine and i've learned to like not worry about it so much i used to at first and you know was like well if i offend people they're not going to listen to me and now i've learned like you can tell very easily like are you asking this question because you actually want to learn or are you asking this question because you think you already know the answer and like mm-hmm. is that worth my time right You know, and and as I get older, you know, they say once you turn 30, you stop giving a fuck. And then once you turn 40, you really stop giving a fuck. So at 33, I'm running out of fucks to give about (laughs) hurting people's feelings. And I've even I've even upset people in trainings, you know, and I don't even say anything that radical in my trainings. I don't even curse like, you know, I, I just state the fact about boarding schools and it was run by the church. And Christianity is a big reason of why we have a lot of problems. And the child welfare system is founded from the church literally stealing children from parents, like literally scooping them and selling them to Mm -hmm. white people. That is Mm -hmm. the foundation of our child welfare system. It was never built to help us. It was always built to destroy us. And we need to understand that the system we work in, that's where it comes from. You're not going to fix it from the inside out, but you need to have a better understanding of it if you're going to serve these communities properly, you know? And sometimes that's a hard thing for people to swallow. And I get that, but like truth hurts. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Right. Yep. Yep. Too, too little time to be...
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. That.
0: You've already kind of talked about the the fact that you attended and did reporting at the National Indian Child Welf- Welfare Association Conference and where where you met... Well, you haven't mentioned that you met Sandy Whitehawk, but we read about that fact. And uh, we're really curious about the healing circle that Sandy hosts, right? hmm
2: Yeah. So Sandy Whitehawk is an indigenous adopted elder and has done a lot of advocacy and work for native adoptees and native veterans as well. She's done native adoptee powwows and things like that in Minnesota and was, you know, doing continues to do a lot of amazing work for our community. And so she does this like healing circle where, you know, a lot of adoptees attend the conference obviously. And so we meet in the evening and it's a it's a talking circle basically so we we meet each other but also like we go around and we have an altar in the middle we go around and we share our stories and we you know we talk about our experiences as adoptees and i i didn't know that's what it was the first time I went. I just it just is stated as like adoptees meeting or something like that. And so I went thinking, you know, I went with my little my little zoom recorder, like being like, I'm gonna record some stuff. And then I was like, oh, I'm not gonna record any of this. It was, it was some really heavy stuff. I mean, people share some very rough experiences, and I that the first one for me changed my life as well in just realizing how much I had bottled up of my experiences of being tokenized and the really racist stuff that adults said to me that, you know, my peers had repeated from their parents and, and, you know, the ways I was treated growing up. And I realized like, Oh my God, like, all of that is really racist, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. whoa, and like, and how frustrated I was and, and sad and de- and depressed and, and that all kind of came vomiting out of me like it was it was intense. And I wasn't ready for it. But I was supported by people who, who had been through that, like people, some people had similar stories to me, to mine. And, you know, understood like, it was very nice and very healing to be in a circle where everyone understands exactly what you mean like Mm -hmm. there is no difference we're all native and we all have had to grow up in this system and like exist in this world that is created to like like pretend that we are still extinct and so it absolutely changed my life and it's like one of the things i always look back on like of like when you think about why you do the work you do Like all I have to do is close my eyes and I see that exact same circle. I see all of their faces and like the work I've done is for those people because I owe so much to them, but also just like, I owe it to myself and people like me to like continue doing this stuff and, and representing us and like making, you know, hopefully what little future we have like better for people like us, because I don't want anyone to go through what I went through or what they went through. And so it's it's I attended it for multiple years while I was working with NICWA. and my birth mom attended it with me one year she volunteered at the conference and attended it with me and it was very intense but very good I think it was really healing for her too and it's just a great way for like us to come and support each other and like you know again it's just like it's really like venting and and releasing that and and then having your family there to catch you and hold you and you have a new family and you have people who completely understand where you're coming from and, and, you know, being able to lift you up when you're not able to do that yourself. And like, it, it really, it's, it's a very, very powerful thing. And Sandy does such amazing work. Like I really hope I can be her when I grow up one day. <laughs> like yeah. She's amazing. She
0: still, still doing it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's still yep. doing yep. what she can. And, and, you know, she's, She's, she is an elder, so she does what she can. But yeah, she's still consulting and, and doing talks and things like that and, and continuing her work.
1: What's it like educating the tribes on the Two Spirit?
2: It's tricky. Some tribes are more open than others, especially depending on location. So, you know, I've worked with tribes in Oklahoma, I've worked with tribes in Arizona, Alaska, North or South Dakota, you know, stuff like that. It really depends. For the most part, though, I think there is an overall understanding that times are changing and that they need to get on board. More and more tribes are legalizing gay marriage on their on their reservations now more than ever, even more so than when I started this work. I think at the time when I started, there was only 13 tribes, federally recognized tribes that like legalized gay marriage. And, and that's growing. I'm sure it's huge now. I haven't checked in a while, but I'm sure it's a lot more now. And, you know, a lot more tribal communities like the Navajo Nation, for once, like, you know, for example, are like doing pride events, actually having their own tribal gay pride events, which is huge. And so I think the attitude is definitely changing in some areas better than others. It's tricky because the church is sometimes very intertwined, like with my own tribe, the Pasquayaki tribe. Catholicism is very prominent there. So, it can be a little tricky having these conversations and really having it be heard and taken seriously and, you know, undoing these attitudes. And Mm -hmm. it's, it can be an uphill battle sometimes, but at the same time, those attitudes are slowly fading out, especially as younger folks are getting hired to work for the tribe and newer ideas are being introduced. And, you know, they're hiring from within their own communities. And eventually, you're going to catch a gay. Sorry, that's just how it's going to work. Because we work for communities. So there's going to be a few of us. And uh, so, you know, and there's a big push as well to like, hire younger generations and, and hire from within the community, you know, to keep people employed and And to have youth be more interested in their culture and and being involved and stuff like that. So with that movement also is going to help encourage a change in attitude towards LGBTQ people because you're going to have a younger staff. You're going to have more open minded people and you're going to have more queer people on staff in general. So it sometimes it can be well received. Sometimes like you have to repeat yourself a few times and, you know, and oftentimes you know the people who really aren't willing to budge are going to get flushed out like a kidney stone like time is changing whether you like it or not so either get with it or like move on like a tumbleweed i don't know what to tell you you know and so i it's it's good to see that change and it is improving i wish it was improving a little faster but the fact that we're even making progress at all is something
1: absolutely for sure so you've talked about a good relationship with your adoptive mom and family, a good relationship with your birth mom and your siblings. But you mentioned that it, it's been a long time since you've been in touch with your birth father's side of the family. Is there a reason for that?
2: Yeah. You know, just because they're blood related doesn't make them good people. Mm. And, you know, he was able, we were talked a lot, and he, he was able to come to my high school graduation. And that's the one and only time I've ever met him. He came and my birth mom came. So I had my adoptive parents and my birth, both my birth parents at my high school graduation, which is like Whoa. legendary. Yeah. I mean, they hadn't seen each other in 18 years. So that was a whole thing, but it was very cool. But you know, he, I, you know, I just don't think he was ready maybe, or like, you know, I could sit around and speculate all day, but basically he made a lot of promises and, and things and you know oh i'm so excited to be in your life like we're gonna talk i'm gonna do this i'm gonna help i was i was going to japan to be an exchange student and he's like i'll send you money for japan like all this stuff and uh, i'm gonna help you like get into the school you want and all these things and then like just dropped off the face of the earth and couldn't get a hold of him and i you know and i i I called my my grandma and i was like look like if he's in prison again because he's been in and out of prison a few times already and it's like if he's in prison again like you can just tell me I'm not going to be upset. Like, I just want to know he's okay, and like, also just want to know like what's going on. And she's like, "Well, he moved to Arizona. We have like land on the res. but look, he's just trying to get his family back together right now, and like, you know, with all the kids and blah blah blah." And I was just like, "Sorry, what? <laughs> like, uh, trying yeah. to get his family back together? Who? My chopped liver? Like, what the fuck is happening here? You know, no one could really give me a straight answer. And and at that point, you know, I. I already like wasn't again, like it's not like I've been looking to talk to this man my whole life. Right. Right. And so I kind of just like talked with my parents about it, talked with my mom about it and like really thought about it and was like, you know what? Like I don't need this. Like I have a dad. I have a dad who shows up for me every fucking day. And then some, you know, like my father is the only father I need at this point. And if he doesn't want to like, you know, put in the effort of time, you know, part of it felt like he was just doing it like relieve some kind of guilt or you know, say that he finally got to meet me, or I don't I have no idea. But I was just like, I don't need this. My mom, you know, my birth mom had this conversation with him to make sure he wasn't gonna do this and you know, he's doing it. And and she was pissed about it too. And and you know, he gave her a bunch of excuses too, and I was just like, you know what? Nah, I'm done. So I stopped and I I keep in contact with his brother. His brother is very, very cool. He's also queer. He's gay. He lives in L.A. with his boyfriend. And he's like, I don't know what happened. I was like 12 when you were born. Like, my mom didn't tell me anything. All I knew is that he went to jail and then, like, something about a baby. I don't know. He's like, I don't know what my brother did, but all I care about is that I have a good relationship with you. Like, that's all I care about. And, you know, because when I got in contact with my with his mom like her whole her right out the gate was oh my god they stole you from us like you know just immediately right. shit talking like my birth mom's family and my adoptive family I'm just like they took you from us they didn't tell us anything all this and it was like that's your first impression you want to, to right. give me right now like first the first impression right. wasn't great and so i only really keep in touch with that uncle my grandmother is a nice person but she's also like very evangelical christian and i can't i can't with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I didn't talk to my birth father for like about four years. And then my birth mom called me and she's like, Yeah, your dad called me out of the blue and he's asking for your phone number. I told him I would ask your permission first and I talked to my dad and I talked to my birth mom and I talked to my boyfriend at the time and and everything and just everyone everyone's opinions about what I was feeling. And I, I told my mom I was like tell him thanks but no thanks. Like I have a dad. And then, right. like, a few months later, my dad passed away, which really sucked. But, but I was just like, no, like, I don't need someone coming in and out of my life when it's convenient for them. I'm not interested in that. That's so much energy and a waste of my time. I have not heard from him since. And I've already explained to my uncle that I'm not interested in, you know, please don't tell him when I'm visiting you. Like, I don't, I'm not mm-hmm. interested in him. trying. Like, he tried to come down one time when, when my uncle flew me out to L.A. And I was like, no, like, I am not. I'm sending a hard boundary of, like, I am not interested he had a chance. I just really am not interested in playing this game. I'm I am already over it. So, you know, it is what it is, but it's, it hasn't really impacted my life in any way negatively. As, as mean as that sounds. I, you know. don't,
0: I don't think it's mean at all. I mean, you just described the way I feel about my birth mother's sister. She's been amazing to Corey and me. She's a lovely person. and. You know, if my birth mother doesn't want to have contact with me, it's okay. Five years, you know, later, to your point, I'm kind of over caring Mm -hmm. at this point. You know, it's it takes so much energy and effort and uh, I can't love my auntie more than I do. So, you know, that's the beauty of it, you know?
2: Yeah, Yeah. yeah, I have some connection to that side and that's great. You know, I got the answers I needed from my grandma and that's really about it. You know, I I have the family I need already. So I feel like I'm already taken care of.
1: So you mentioned earlier about your dad, you know, braiding your hair when you were little and you're keeping the braid is is part of that sort of like tribute to him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, this man like dealt with lice three times with this hair, like nitpicked with this hair. (laughs) I can't feel most of my scalp because of it, but like, I, I, if he went through that lengths, no pun intended, to make sure that I keep my hair like this, like, I owe it to him. But also, like, from a cultural identity aspect, too, right? Like, I was lucky enough to be born into a family that unknowingly let me have traditional hair. And that in Mm -hmm. itself, I always see as, as such a blessing. And I'm so thankful for like you ask anybody like the braid has always been my trademark. It's the braid and the bangs. And that's like, I've looked the same for like 25 years. I've always had the (laughs) braid. I was born with like four inches of hair. Like I've always had long hair. (laughs) So yeah, like it's, it's just the braid has always been like a core aspect of my identity and you know, it's an important bonding tool as well. Like culturally, only family is allowed to touch your hair it's seen as like an extension of our soul our thoughts our being so like right now with my current partner I'm teaching him how to brush out my hair and how to braid it and like that's our night routine now and it's 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 such like an intense bonding experience to have him be able to brush out my hair and he's terrible at braiding but he's really trying (laughs) he's getting better (laughs) I made him like you, you know like those little friendship bracelet things that you can like yeah. you know you tie it to like cardboard and you like do it. I made him one of those to practice braiding. Like and he practices. Yeah. He has his little practice braid board and then he practices on my hair, but like it was a it was a it was a really like important bonding thing. There's so many pictures of my dad like brushing out my hair or braiding it or whatever. Like it was an important bonding experience for me and my father growing up and It was like a way of him showing and taking care of me, you know, and showing love to me and to be able to pass that on to my partners and like show them like this is a way that, you know, not only culturally, but that I grew up, you know, having Mm -hmm. someone show me love and care and like a bonding thing for me. I feel connected to you and trust you enough to touch my hair and to braid it. And like, you know, not everybody gets to do that. Everyone wants to touch my hair, which is really annoying, really (laughs) annoying. Please don't touch people without their consent. I can't believe I have to say it, but there it is. It's not a petty yeah. zoo. Please stop. You know, there's something very intimate about that and very special. And and, you know, my partner understands that and is is very, you know, he gets a little, a little emotional about it sometimes. But yeah, like I I really I really try to keep it. I kept it for him. And the only time I've ever really cut it, my my previous partner passed away about three years ago. And mm-hmm. also traditionally when someone passes away, we cut our hair. But when my dad passed away, I hadn't started doing that yet. I used to like trim it. I trim it once a year. So I would trim it on the anniversary of his death. But then when my partner mm-hmm. passed away, I cut my braid in half and and went through ceremony with that and everything. And so now I'm starting to get some length back again. My hair grows pretty fast. But you know, I, I still trim it. And now I trim it on the anniversary of my partner's death instead. So it's a way for me to express mourning. It's a, it's a, it's a, I also say like long hair is a really good lesson in, in patience. Like <laughs> a really good lesson in patience. Like I've had to cut chunks out of this hair before because of swimming and chlorine and not taking care of it and, and salt water and all this shit. Like I have been through journeys with this hair. This hair is not all one length. And I, I uh, have to learn to deal with that. But in, you know, it's also like my father passing down how to take – he taught me how to braid when I was in sixth grade. So I was starting to take care of my own hair by the time I was like 12 or 13 and then learning. And now I continue to take care of it myself. But now I have a partner to help me, which is great. Right. And also like I don't have to go through all of it. So it's awesome. But yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very important thing to me. And I think it's, it's, again, like it's one of those like weird things of the universe that doesn't feel like a coincidence that I mm-hmm. come from a culture where your hair is very important. And then I was also raised in a household that really wanted me to have this hair and and went through great, great effort to make sure that I got to keep this hair and and have, you know, have that passed down to me, have these skills passed down to me that I would have otherwise had to learn, you know, probably not till my 20s. And then attempting right. to like grow all this out, like, <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's, it's very, very important to me. It's very special.
1: Well, we're definitely going to keep up with seeing. Amazing work that you're doing, and we'll we will link to the to the radio show, the show notes on, on this episode. I mean, you're doing so much right now. You know, you're a broadcaster, an educator, uh, social worker. Where? What, what's the next five years look like for you, Jack? Where oh, do you want to go?
2: I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm mostly doing freelance consulting at the moment, and kind of trying to like refigure out stuff. You know, my my life has taken quite a turn in the last three years. Obviously and i'm trying to just regain my footing and see what i want to do next. so i'm kind of in it weird in between, but if y'all are hiring, let me know. i'm gonna put that out there. but yeah, at the moment i've been doing a lot of dj work. i've been doing a lot of drag performances and i still do consulting on the side like i've i've done presentations for Washington State Child Welfare Services in mm-hmm. Eastern Washington and i did one for Oregon Child Welfare as well and so like I, I still do Two Spirit 101 if, if anyone is looking for that as well you know happy to provide resources or whatever you need I do I still do talks and stuff like that so we'll see I, I really don't know but I'm hoping it's still something you know still being part of the community still being here still being queer still you know joint pain moderate to severe just just trying <laughs> to live my life and 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 be as visible as possible for others like me you know so. Hopefully I'll, I'll have some more exciting stuff <laughs> than just saying, I don't know, but you know well, we what? Have- it's midlife crisis. I'm in my thirties now. I can say that, right? Yeah.
0: No, not quite, but uh- said the guy in his fifties, but, <laughs> but we, we're, we hope you could connect with us again yes. too, and we could follow up and see where you are in your journey.
1: And before we let you go, I mean, I I almost forgot to ask, and and it's a shame shame of me being kind of like being huge drag fans. Yeah. But but please tell us a little bit about your drag persona.
2: Yeah. So my drag persona is Gila Suspectum. It's also my DJ name. So my birth father is from Gila River Indian community. I also kind of identify with a Gila monster (laughs) because I love heat. (laughs) I don't know how I've lived in Oregon for like over 30 years. I'm always cold. I wear a hoodie all through summer. So I I have created a drag persona. That I, I, I'm i what they call a drag cryptid. So I'm not a drag king. I'm not a drag queen. I'm a drag creature, if you will. So it's more of a like lizard amphibian type of thing. And I say it's like a creature from the Black Lagoon meets Gila monster uh, cool. persona. Yeah yeah. 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 So I'm a member of the drag house of smokes here in Portland. And I've just started to do in-person performances. I've done a few on Zoom during covid and things i used to stream and on twitch um and do a uh, creature feature which was my like djing and drag streaming show that i did on twitch for a while that i hopefully will bring back we'll see stay tuned oh,
0: Definitely um, want to smell.
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i i hopefully will go back to twitch and do creature feature again i want to do creature feature here in portland live as well which would be great but yeah i wear my traditional like shells and things like that Along with creature full face creature makeup fins the works fishnets wow. and contact lenses all of that so I I really enjoy effects makeup I've always enjoyed it and I decided that this was one way for me to like fully express myself and not wait till Halloween to do it and <laughs> I have other friend drag performers who were very supportive and. And also, you know, getting some more representation out there again, like for non-binary folks like me. And I didn't even know that I could be a cryptid until I like joined a Facebook group and like met other, other people who did creature drag. Because I was like, I don't want to be a drag king. I don't want to dress up like a dude. Like, I'm, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I'm not. I'm but, not interested yeah. in gender in general. Like, I really, I, can I just be a monster, please? And turns yeah. out you can. You can be whatever the hell you want. Drag is whatever the hell you want. So mm-hmm. that was really cool for me to find out. So that's what I've been doing currently. And Gila Suspectum is a play on the scientific w- name of Gila Monster. So it's actually Hila Derma Suspectum. Um, oh. But instead, I did Gila as in Gila River, not Hila Dermum. And Suspectum was just a really cool addition to that. Yeah, it's the most poisonous lizard in the United States. So that's pretty cool. And they're also seen as sacred to my tribe too because <laughs> like they're they're Oral. very respective so that's pretty cool but yeah and their colors are halloween which makes sense because i love halloween so there's a lot going on there but yeah so that's my that's my drag persona and the things that i do i do creature drag here in portland and hopefully gonna well i also did it in seattle so hopefully i can do it more nationally and expand my yeah. creature domain
1: for sure yeah it's i don't know if he's Traveled down to the Bay Area. Well, I know you lived in the Bay Area very briefly, which is funny because I worked in Hayward for eight years.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So before, yeah, moving to New England, we were in the, the Bay Area for nine years and love it. And we hope to go back. So I, if you haven't if you haven't taken Hila down there yet, should
2: <laughs> not yet. I want to take it to the Bates Two Spirit Powwow. Twenty twenty was my first year going to the Two Spirit Powwow down in in San Francisco, but then COVID hit. So eventually, maybe one day I'll be able to bring it down to the Bay Area. I, I did Seattle Pride this year. That was my first in-person show ever, which was awesome. But yeah, hopefully I'll be able to come down. And ca- I miss California anyway.
1: It, well, it just seems like I've just got a really good vibes that exciting things are coming down the road for you, Jack. I,
2: I hope I so. See. Oh, thanks. So.
1: But I mean, in the meantime, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing so much of your story.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. And I really hope, again, like we can follow up at some point. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Family Twist features original music from Cosmic
0: Afterthoughts and is presented by Savoir Fair Marketing Communications.